Hello and welcome to another podcast edition of Taiwan Talk. I'm Keith Mancone. Uh, as I record this, we are now three whole days into Tsai Ing-wen's presidency. Uh, and of course, all eyes were on her inauguration speech uh, delivered last Friday. As observers around the world are you know, trying to get a sense of what direction Tsai will be leading Taiwan in. Now, one of the most important audiences watching on is the United States. It's an important supporter, trade partner of Taiwan. Uh, but it has in the past also been somewhat skeptical of DPP leadership, uh, with some concern that its high presidency would mean more instability in the Taiwan Strait. Uh, so U.S.-Taiwan ties... They can be complicated, uh, somewhat fraught, uh, difficult to get a handle on, really. So today, uh, that's what we're going to be trying to do, uh, getting a handle on the shape of those ties now uh, that U.S. policymakers uh, have gotten their first glimpse of what a Thai administration will look like. Uh, and also, uh, today, we're going to be trying to get a feel for what possibilities there are, what direction that relationship could go in. Uh, to help us out with all that, we're welcoming back to the program Rupert Hammond Chambers. He is the president of the U.S.-Taiwan Business Council, which is a group working to strengthen U.S.-Taiwan business ties. I recently spoke with him through Skype. Rupert Hammond Chambers, thanks so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on your show. So uh, I spoke to you about a year ago, uh, and at the time, of course, uh, we were looking forward to the election. Uh, we didn't even really know quite who the candidates would be yet. Um, uh, and we were trying to figure out how the course of that election might impact uh, U.S.-Taiwan ties. Uh, now, obviously, we know a lot more than we did uh, back then. Uh, Tsai made her inauguration speech uh, just last Friday. Uh, so uh, now what we're going to be doing is, uh, now that we know just a little bit more, trying to figure out uh, how the Tsai administration uh, might interact with the U.S., how the U.S. Uh, might be interacting with the Tsai administration, uh, but before we even get to that, let's kind of just lay all of the cards out on the table, uh, because I remember at the time when I spoke to you, uh, you had some uh, fairly critical words uh, for the Obama administration. Uh, you were making the argument uh, that he wasn't really engaging with Taiwan as much uh, as he could be, wasn't supporting Taiwan in some of the ways uh, that you feel Taiwan uh, needs to be supported. Uh, so let's update that assessment a little bit uh, now uh, a year later. Uh, do you feel like anything has changed, or, or would you make a similar criticism? I would. Um, I, I had an opportunity to write something in the Wall Street Journal last week in which I laid out um, some of the challenges that Tsai would face, some of those related to the present state of U.S.-Taiwan ties and you know what I would describe as the Obama Doctrine's approach to Taiwan, which is one of rhetorical consistency, but substantially or substantively, um, there, there lacks really uh, a material component to that that is uh, uh, underpinning the relationship between the two sides. And that, that, is, that is regrettable. I, I would expect that to continue through until January of next year and the arrival of a new U.S. president. All right. So uh, now skipping ahead to uh, the Thai inauguration, uh, do you think that that changes uh, anything substantially about uh, the relationship? I mean, of course, the U.S. Uh, historically... Um, if we book, look back to 2012, there was a fair amount of unease uh, among a lot of U.S. policymakers um, that were uh, afraid that she might rock the boat and cross straight ties and uh, China would uh, respond negatively, might uh, lead to some instability in the region. 
but now that uh, they've gotten to know her a little bit better, seen perhaps a new tone in uh, the election running up to uh, this inauguration, uh, do you think that that assessment has changed at all? Well, Keith, I, I'm not sure that it really, the issue necessarily in, in Taiwan U.S. ties is whether or not there'll be any adjustment on the U.S. side vis-a-vis Tsai, who is moderate, who has laid out uh, a, a set of policies, I think, that certainly should provide for stability. The X factor, of course, is China. And the Chinese have already raised tensions since January over a number of actions. And in my view, that we're going to continue to see that. We're going to continue to see a spike, a spike excuse me, in, in provocations from the PRC. And it's, and, and it's then how will the U.S. respond do we just have more, more rhetorical words of support? Or does it look perhaps a little bit more like the second Bush administration under Chen Shui-bian, where there was a lot of pressure on Taiwan to accommodate China? Now, Chen Shui-bian and Tsai Ing-wen are very different people, and I expect them to have very different governments. But the worry is, for me, that the U.S. government will lean on Tsai and force her or attempt to pressure her to, to make accommodations to China all in the interest of stability. And of course, it has exactly the adverse effect. It simply promotes more instability. Right. Make that case a little bit. So the idea there uh, being that uh, if there's more imbalance in the Taiwan Strait, then uh, China would be encouraged to be somewhat more aggressive? Yeah. My own view is that China is looking to spike tensions because they view it to be in their interest. They'd like to see to, to see Tsai and the DPP government on the defensive, and they'd like to see the U.S. on the defensive. The last thing that senior U.S. government officials want, or one of the last things they want, is to have to go into every meeting with PRC officials, and the first thing they hear is a complaint about the possibility of Taiwan independence. It immediately puts the U.S. on the defensive, but with all the other issues in PRC-U.S. relations at the moment, my view is is that the Chinese see this that that as a positively useful tool to push back on the U.S. and put the U.S. on the defensive. So I, I expect more of that, quite frankly, particularly over the next eight months. Obviously, those of us in the U.S., we don't know who the next U.S. president is going to be, and neither do the Chinese. So they, they're going to have to deal with some, some new personality in a new administration 2017 and beyond. But certainly in the next few months, I, uh, my own view is, is that China feels like they've got some operating room with Taiwan and may also feel like it's unlikely the Obama administration are really going to push back in any meaningful way. I've been hearing a, a number of people making the argument that at, at this point, uh, Taiwan doesn't even really factor that big into uh, the U.S.'s regional calculus, uh, just because if we look at the major disputes between uh, the U.S. and China, you know, that would be the, the South China Sea, a couple of other regional things. Um, Taiwan just doesn't hold that much sway, you know, specifically in the South China Sea. Uh, w- w- would you agree with that? It sounds like you're saying, though, that uh, Taiwan could almost be used as a, a tool in those sorts of disputes. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't fold the South China Sea into the case I've just made, uh, although I do think that the PRC has used Taiwan in that way in the past. Tsai is not without tools herself. And it's interesting that you raise the South China Sea. Of course, the largest island in the South China Sea, Taiping Island, is is held by Taiwan. And Taiwan certainly has interests in equities, and China's claim on the South China Sea comes through Taiwan. So Taiwan does have a role to play in all of this. 
I think it'll be very interesting to see what the Thai government does after The Hague comes forward with its ruling on sovereignty in the South China Sea, specific to the, the Philippine case um, as it relates to Chinese islands, and whether or not that forces or offers an opportunity for the Tsai government to make an adjustment to Taiwan claims. That, to me, is a very interesting dynamic. So there is a possibility that Taiwan has a role. At the moment, in the run-up for this, these actions that the KMT government were making in the last several months, I think that had more to do with trying to box Tsai in, as opposed to uh, any sort of flurry at the end of the Ma government. Mm, right, just in terms of all the visits that they were making to those islands, etc., um, yeah, right. I think they're, they're concerned too that the DPT make, might make an adjustment. So we had Ma there trying to um, reestablish or heighten the role of, of, of uh, Taiwan sovereignty in the South China Sea. And then as an extension, how that relates to China's own sovereignty claims. Taking a look uh, for a second, uh, just specifically at her speech, because it was a very anticipated speech. Uh, observers around the world were trying to see exactly uh, how she would characterize uh, the relationship between uh, Taiwan and China. Of course, uh, she omitted any mention of the 1992 consensus, instead opting to uh, note that there was a meeting in 1992 and affirming the agreements that were made there. So a very different change to the wording, uh, leaves out any mention of a one-China policy, anything like that. Um, but uh, it seems like so far, uh, despite the fact that China has uh, been, you know, issued its displeasure with uh, her characterization of it, uh, it seems like most U.S. officials are saying, well, she didn't rock the boat too much, uh, this is acceptable to us. So how much do you think that uh, her speech that she just made uh, is going to matter to uh, folks in Washington, uh, other observers in the U.S.? I think it does matter to folks in Washington, those people who are focused on this issue. I think, again, it reiterates the the view that certainly the last couple of years, Tsai has been moderate and responsible in the statements and actions that she's made as, as it relates to the relationship with China. So I think that all um, underpins that. Really, just to bring it back around again, to me, really what we should be focused on, though, is how the Chinese behave. And the Taiwan Affairs Office already had statements out afterwards saying that it was unacceptable. What sort of actions, beyond what, what have already been taken, what sort of escalations can we see out of China as they relate to Taiwan? How will that manifest itself in respect to pressure on the U.S.? And how will the U.S. respond? Will the U.S. push back? Will it just be rhetorical or will, will there be actual actions that demonstrate U.S. displeasure over Chinese pressure and coercion. So I think I think that, to me, is really the focus in respect to this issue, or should be. Mm. Right, right. Uh, it does seem like, uh, the well, <laughs> as a number of commentators on uh, at ICRT have noted, the, the, the ball seems to be very squarely in the Chinese court at this point. I, I absolutely agree with that. I think that, that your colleagues, you and your colleagues, are, are, are right on the money. Now... Just in terms of U.S. policy towards Taiwan, the Obama administration is winding down. Uh, both of the two expected candidates for the U.S. presidency would uh, pr- most likely have a very different approach to foreign policy. Even you know Hillary Clinton, who who is also a Democrat, is expected to have uh, a more hawkish approach to foreign policy. Uh, do you see the election in the U.S. coming up as uh, an opportunity for a complete reboot of? Uh, U.S.-Taiwan relations, or uh, is are external factors going to matter more than the person in the White House? That's great. Well, personalities certainly matter, Keith, as you and I both know. So 
for both candidates who they choose to have in the key posts will matter and to the extent that they have a good understanding of Taiwan and visited Taiwan and are familiar with the nuances and intricacies of the relationship and the responsibilities that go with it, that will matter. We know a wee bit more about that with uh, Clinton and we know much less about it with Trump, of course. Um, either way, the Chinese seem to have calibrated that they're in for a, a harder go of it with either Trump or Clinton. And that's going to impact us because I think that the, the Chinese are going to, that, that creates uncertainty in the next few months. And that's hard to say. A reboot of Taiwan policy? I don't think so. I think for those of us who really work in this space, what we would simply be happy with is, is a strong commitment to the Taiwan Relations Act, a movement back towards um, a more a robust trade relationship, let's hope with TPP as part of it, and, and also importantly on the security side, consistent material support for Taiwan's defense needs, which uh, obviously the Obama administration got away, with, got away from in the four-year arms freeze they had that ended last fall. Mm. All right. Now, uh, just to round out this conversation, uh, looking now to the Taiwan side, I mean, I know that uh, we did just basically say the ball is very much in uh, China's court. But uh, are there things, uh, are there material things that the Thai administration could be doing to uh, up their engagement with uh, the U.S. and uh, making it clear that uh, some of these uh, actions, some of these policies that, that you'd like to see the U.S. take uh, make it clear that uh, Taiwan is, you know, also ready to engage in those ways and also ready to, uh, you know, step up those ties? Oh, definitely, Keith. I mean, I, I think, not to sound like a stuck record, but I think that the, the um, what Taiwan has heard a great deal about are some of the longstanding irritants in the bilateral economic relationship and even though the prospects for TPP remain tenuous at this juncture, I certainly think that Tsai government could remove a huge irritant in the relationship by addressing the issue of pork unilaterally. I think that would be well received in Washington, D.C. As a, as a demonstration of seriousness and intent. And with the, with the majority that the TPP has in the Lifa UN, I, I also believe that some of the regulatory barriers um, to... Uh, um, in, in the commercial relationship between the two sides also could be dealt with unilaterally. What Taiwan will often hear or its trade negotiators will often hear is for Taiwan to look at chorus as a, a possible model, the U.S.-Korea uh, free trade agreement for uh, liberalization. The Ma government, in my view, uh, you know, really took eight years off in respect to macroeconomic reform on the island, focusing almost exclusively on growth through opening up of China. Uh, but many, many of these competitive issues that need to be addressed have to be addressed through re reforming the economy. And a lot of this stuff that the Thai government can do unilaterally. And uh, in the short term, there is likely to be some pain and some dislocation. In the longer term, Taiwan should be far more competitive as a consequence. Well, uh, if, if, if she does pursue these things uh, aggressively, we might be seeing... Uh, domestic strife as well really picking up in the next couple of months because any mention uh, from her ministers over the last couple of months that uh, their approach to ractopamine bans and their approach to port pork imports I mean there were protests right off the bat even when you know such a change was just implied um, so so do, do you what do you expect to see I mean do you do you expect her to be able to given those domestic realities do you expect her to be able uh, to take some of those steps well, my feeling, Keith, is yes, she is committed to doing this. I, I think um, my best understanding of what's going on right now is that 
to come back to the fortunes of TPP in the United States. It, it really what's happening now is, is that she and her senior economic and national security colleagues are watching to see what happens in, in the general election here. And, and then as a consequence, what the fortunes for TPP look like. And then she can better calibrate how to time making some of these changes and commitments. But I, my view is she's, she is focused like a hawk on the big picture and is willing to take a short-term hit or, or to spend political capital in making these changes in the interests of broader and bigger goals. Mm. So, so, so even now, after this election uh, has ended, still uh, we're going to probably see a little bit of a wait-and-see period before the U.S. Uh, election really uh, comes into focus. I, I think that is the truth, certainly on issues like TPP. I suspect that, um, and in fact, uh, uh, one of my colleagues and I were in contact this morning over the, the possibility that, that um, things will start moving a little bit on the, on the China trade uh, legislation that's been sitting there for almost two years. Um, uh, the, the, the legislation related to processing China agreements and then, and then what, what to do with the services agreement itself. Um, it certainly would be a demonstration of good faith um, to push those two through, although the Chinese seem to be grumbling a little bit about the first of those two pieces of legislation. Um, I, I still, for me, think that while it would be a demonstration of good faith on her part, the Chinese would have it, would, would in all likelihood brush it aside and continue to focus on the absence of commitment to the 92 consensus. All right. Well, we're going to leave that conversation here for today. Obviously, uh, a lot of question marks still in the air uh, that are going to be resolved over the next couple of months. But we have been speaking today to Rupert Hammond Chambers. He is the president of the U.S.-Taiwan Business Council. Uh, Rupert, thanks for speaking to us again. Keith, it's absolutely my pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity to to speak with you and and your uh, listeners. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another podcast edition of Taiwan Talk. Of course, Taiwan Talk is ICRT's weekly interview segment, bringing you conversations from and about Taiwan. Podcast listeners are going to want to look out for the release uh, of a segment that I'm very proud of. It was recorded a number of weeks ago on The Morning Show with Terry Engel, uh, and we were talking about the Armed Forces Network Taiwan, uh, which is the English-language radio station in Taiwan uh, that preceded ICRT, broadcast from about the 1950s uh, all the way up until uh, the U.S. uh, Army departure from Taiwan in 1979. So a lot of interesting history there. Uh, We got some very knowledgeable people to join us, talk about it, uh, share some clips from that time. Very interesting segment. That'll be released in just a couple days, so definitely uh, stay tuned to the channel. Look out for that. Uh, But that is it for the program today. Thank you once again for listening. For ICRT, I'm Keith Manconi. See you next time.